clear. We are the weirdos. I am God. What? I tried to warn her. Hello, everybody out there, and welcome back to Ots Tyrion, the podcast where we give the Criterion treatment to the obviously classic horror films of the Millennium Era. Uh, it is I, Jordan Cruciola, and I am here with... Sam Weinman, your co-host here on Ots Tyrion. Yes, my co-host extraordinaire. The only... The- your co-host, your collaborator, yep. your your historian friend. Yep. My my educator, filmmaker, collaborator. And you know what? The word collaborator is so important to this specific episode, Sam. The idea of collaboration in the medium of film. In the medium of film. Because what are we talking about today, Sam? We are talking about the 2000 Everybody Loves It <laughs> Urban Legends <laughs> Final Cut. And this is I this is a exciting one to like start the conversation on because as we have discussed, you're so in it with this movie. It's one I, of those c- like like lost and delirious kinds of it's 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 like you're in the minority report space where you have the pre-crime hat, like gloves and glasses on, and you are like manipulating the figures in in the virtual I- space, in the augmented reality in front of you. You know, confession to our listenership, I did tell Jordan before the record, I'm going to need some help keeping us on track (laughs) just because I have watched this movie so many hundreds of times. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I mean, like if you were to cut me open and look at my insides, I think it's the script to Urban Legends Final (laughs) Fight. I think you could just read it. So it's like, it's it's, it's like reading your DNA strands, your chromosomes. It's just reading the script for Final Cut. Yeah. So, and here's the thing, and I say everybody loves it because the truth is, um, this film was unfortunately beyond critically panned when it came out. I mean, if there was like a negative Rotten Tomato score, this movie would have it. Um, it just everybody universally like was like, you know what? Let's take a big shit on the sequel to Urban Legend, <laughs> and it, and it was the joke, you know, um, and and unfairly so. And so, okay, in the way that. In the way that this movie was maligned, is it in a similar way? Is it in a similar camp to, for my heart song, like a Scream 4? And there was like that recent piece by Jermaine Lucier, who was like, I was wrong about Scream 4 10 years ago, and I'm here to atone for that. And in that same camp too, Josie and the Pussycats. That kind of couldn't, was too close to the, was too far apart from the history that it was kind of nodding at to be really seen as viable and in in effect kind of seen as detached or like, is it, is it that similar kind of way that people didn't get things or am I seeing this wrong? No, it's exactly that. And I'm going to say it right here, right now, because three years from now, some listeners like listening to this, like in real time and they're like, wow, they really did know before everybody else. Friends, you heard it here first. You heard it here first. This movie is worthy of love. And the thing is, um, it's just because straight people haven't woken up to it yet. Mm-hmm. Once they do, mm-hmm. once they're like, "Oh, that was actually good," yeah, um, yeah. and they see that it, th- then then they'll be like, "Ah, it was, uh, I knew it all along." Yeah. But like, right now, uh, no, but no, nobody. Like this is like when I say nobody, mm-hmm. I mean nobody. Yeah, yeah. This isn't even. It, it's not even like like Scream Three, Scream Four have their supporters. It is definitely a a more down market conversation than that. 
And look, I get it. Because mm-hmm. when it came out, it was on the tail end of a lot of horror films that felt similar in tone. Yes. So we had gotten Scream, which was super successful in 96. Mm-hmm. We had Scream 2 immediately following at 97. We also had I Know What You Did Last Summer in 97. Uh-huh. All of that penned by Kevin Williamson. Yes. Um, and so we're, we're... And then when Urban Legend came out, it was enough tongue-in-cheek to feel very much a part of that camp. Mm-hmm. Um, not even... Camp, they went to the same high school. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it was. <laughs> they had homeroom I mean, together. Exactly. And so it was like, I think people were starting to wear thin mm-hmm. of kind of the self-referential, yeah. somewhat meta yeah. horror comedy slasher. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> and so when we're looking at the year 2000, this is a full four years later mm-hmm, mm-hmm. than when it started. So yeah. And it people came, are kind it, of like, came, I've seen it. It came heavy and fast. After, like on the heels of Scream, in the way that in the way that trends being capitalized does, there was a high volume of inspired by, like walking in the footsteps of, uh, Kevin Williamson scripted sla- like dead teenager slasher movies, and so the idea of that burnout can happen really fast, especially I think too because the the way the slasher wave peaked up, like ex- like existed was catalyzed and then peaked in the 80s how quickly it became this thing where we were just going to franchise and spin off and imitate over and over and over again the nightmare on elm street model halloween model etc etc and i think in that decade between like 80 and 89 just between the four horsemen of the apocalypse movies i think there were like over there were there were like more than 50 of those movies i think just in the space of those slashers not even like the movies that they begot And so when this came back around and Scream pushes horror mainstream again and gives it a unifying sort of thematic and structural set of norms to work around. Because 90s 90s horror is not a fallow time, but it doesn't quite have a unifying force until Mm -hmm. Scream arrives to reignite on a mainstream level this like broad interest um, audience interest in horror. So by the time you hit that 2000s mark, there have already been many many iterations on the new wave of of teenager horror and pop culturally we had moved on from a moment Mm -hmm. right because like when we're thinking about that time we're thinking about scream 3 which was the least successful scream was a was landing around that time yes you know what when when we're thinking about horror and its big moment yeah this is the tail end yeah okay but i will say for anyone who's ever been to a film school, this is the most accurate portrayal <laughs> of a film school I have ever seen in my life. Maybe that's, I mean, maybe, like, I feel like that's a, a in in a resurgent conversation about Final Cut, it seems like a key part of it, the, the, like, the film Twitter aspect will inevitably attach onto is going to be the fact that this is, as, as much as it is a part of that Scream lineage, it is also Hollywood, it is also part of the Hollywood self-referential genre of movie it's it's a movie about the industry it's an inside baseball movie about the industry but here's what's wild right like the way i look at it it's rupaul's drag race but a slasher like it is a competition film Mm -hmm. right yes we have our key players everybody's trying to get to the end and get their award it might as well be stick it it could be bring it so yes it is insider right because because hollywood Mm -hmm. but i will argue that anybody who's ever competed for anything mm-hmm. in a in a collegiate level or even just 
you know, is a part of a competition that has a set of characters who are out to get you. Yeah. This is this is a film that will speak to you. Yes. That said, we got to right now. Right now, listener. <laughs> listen, I need you <laughs> to divorce yourself from the thought that this is Scream. This is not Scream. Yes. It's not going to be Scream. Mm-hmm. I know, I know, and I know it's funny, and I know the tone feels like it. Guess what? It's not. This is a slasher film. That's a competition. That's it. That's it. Well, and I, so just forget it. Erase it. And people I know who We're have look at seen it on its own. who have seen the first but haven't seen the second. And like I remember when this movie kind of came up in conversation not too long ago, and somebody mentioned something on like who I who follows me was like, oh, if I if I didn't love the first one, should I even watch the second? I was like, absolutely yes, because the second one is is a high concept version of this conceit. It's actually functioning on a different wavelength it's not trying to accomplish the same thing that the first movie did it's it's taking it and expounding upon it in a way that we were not yet ready to embrace from genre films in in the year 2000 what i know that everybody loved urban legends urban legend singular urban legend there's just one legend legend. yeah um great i i was not a super fan of it i love tara reed i Mm -hmm. i prefer her and josie and the pussycats but i love her in this i think she's integral to urban Mm -hmm. legend i like it i like it i love rebecca gayhart in this oh my god well and put a pin in that am i right (laughs) because rebecca gayhart i mean a fucking a fucking career defining performance yeah I mean, but also every one of her performances is career-defining, so I need to relax. Yeah. Um, but she is incredible, incredible in yeah. Urban Legend. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it. It's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. But there is something so special about what we're about to get into. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's the context. So let me take you in a time machine to the year 2000. And let's say, let's say too, that this, while, so we don't, so we don't necessarily start with the, you know, as Sam said, we start with the end of the movie and work our way inside out. This is a movie about a group of film school students who yes. are then, who are, are, they, they begin to get picked off as they're being stalked by, you know, resident slasher. But amidst all, amidst the drama of the slasher, there is also the fact that there is like a student film competition happening. And you have your various archetypes present, the diva starlet, the like, climbing like ultra climber um um ambitious director the like actual artistic filmmaker with the vision who has more talent than the climber and the various assorted like techie weirdos who will who like populate the set around these primary figures and it like it follows our central character our heroine as she is trying to solve who murdered her boyfriend it's her boyfriend right it is. Wait, hold no. on. What? No, it's not her boyfriend. I'm. Be- no, no. He. It's. It, he is the star of the film. School. He's the star of the film. And the, I was only thinking because of how she does- gets involved with yes. the guy. Yeah, with the twin, right. the emergent twin. Well, and is he? So here. And is here we go. he? And is he? So here so, we go. What your, I will your say. Your two thousands context. I, I yes, and I but I uh, the two thousands were a very. The 2000 specifically, yes. as in millennium, yeah. Y2K. Mm-hmm. Like, we are talking, if you were not old enough to know this, in 1999, we thought we were going to die. We thought we were going to blink Everybody out of was, existence. We were like, because we were like, oh shit, the clocks say zero, zero. <laughs> that means nothing. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to think we're in 1900. The banks are going to bleed money. Yep. And the electricity is going to go out and we're all going to die. Yeah, when it's going to be when, escape when, from when, LA. The grid's going to go down. 
We were panicked. People at I was Costco's afraid. were out of bottled water, friends. I was and afraid. Because moms all across America and dads, any, mm-hmm. you know, mainly church going people, I would say. <laughs> trust me, I had been oh, in my church family's garage. They had canned goods that would last for five years because of Y2K. The canned good industry was doing great. Yeah. So Y2K was a real weird time mm-hmm. where there was all this paranoia and stress leading up to it. But once we once the clock struck midnight and everybody was fine. Yeah. Um, then we got to start a new century. Mm-hmm. And that century began with J-Lo's infamous V-dress. Oh, it did. That century began by kicking Beanie Babies to the curb. Now, listen, mm. I I am a Beanie Baby fan, but even that was over. Mm-hmm. That Napster at its peak. Right. Britney Spears performing Satisfaction at the VMAs. She oh, is my God. full that diamond was, That was 2000, wasn't it? Oh, that was 2000. My God, yes. Sam. So wow. We are getting oops era Britney. We are getting Britney. She is stronger. She is lucky. She is a lot of descriptive words yep. in her singles. She is stronger and than yesterday for sure. That was the double clap. That was the double. No, I, I know say, it was. To, to really encapsulate this era, I would say listen to the song Digital Get Down by NSYNC, which is a song about cyber sex uh, with somebody in a chat room. Mm, okay. Okay. Things that just things that just don't exist anymore. Um, and it is a bop. But why I bring all of this pop culture music stuff up is because this is the same year that Christina Aguilera won Best New Artist at the Grammys. Mm-hmm. So Christina Aguilera, Best New Artist. Wow. It was also the year <laughs> that... Eminem dominated the airwaves with the real Slim Shady. It was also now, the year, I, I think, because you're going to make a bigger point, but I just want to yes, say please. right now that it is also the year of no strings attached. And yes. so I think what we're getting here in the year 2000 is in the way that 2005 is this peak of what of the 2000s that we will then answer for in 2007. I think what's mm-hmm. happening in the year 2000 is the seeds planted pop culturally of the late 90s are now blooming. And those figures that were integral to that late 90s set, like the Britney, the Christina, the NSYNC, the Backstreet Boys, they are now entering, you know, they have pushed through to fight for like an adulthood in like they're getting into the adulthood stage of pop like we are still young pop stars we are still a boy band but we are now asserting that we have a creative an amount of creative agency in this where we are full self-possessed cultural forces as much as they can particularly the men because when is when is dirty coming is dirty 2002 uh 2000 oh maybe it's 2002 i'm just thinking of when i drove to college and was crying listening to soar on my way to school in my Honda yeah. Accord. And that was well, 2003. But so it was it was slightly before that. But what I all I mean to say is with this is the sort of um nubile baby-faced um hatchlings of pop culture in in those late 90s that would go on to define the pop sensibility of the like swinging swinging heyday of the 2000s, they are reaching a version of full power that they have they are coming out of their chrysalis into their new form and they are reaching new levels of acclaim and power that they had not yet previously tapped becoming bigger sensations than they never had before the the new millennium is truly it's not waiting for 2001 it's not waiting for 2002 it is happening in the year 2000 it started immediately immediately yeah. Imme- like yeah the fucking ball dropped and it was like we are we are anew. We are a light. This is a new fucking era. 
And it was an era where, um, you know, when it comes to pop songs, everybody had a, one album per year because they would burn out so quickly that the fear was that there would be none left. So yeah. they would have one album per year with four singles per year. And the fourth single was usually a ballad. So um, in this case, right, Britney Spears is on her second album. So she might as well be Cher. Mm-hmm. Right, because mm-hmm. in, in in millennial world, she has had a long, fruitful career. Yes, you <laughs> and, are absolutely right. And so, what Eminem comes along and does, um, and Eminem, by the way, uh, so for for our Gen Zers who like to stand, obviously mm-hmm. comes from the song "Stand," which also came out from this album that Eminem released. Mm-hmm. But the real Slim Shady um, is is the top of the charts this song is inescapable everybody knows every word of it mm-hmm. who was in middle school or high school at that time it's true ask them go ask them walk up to your old friend and ask <laughs> them um i uh, it was just one of those things where it felt like oh wow i mean in the moment like sure okay eminem is homophobic he uh is saying things about me that i don't like yeah. but uh but he's also actually, at least he's talking about Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, he's throwing around like shit about her being a woman and who she's sleeping with yes. and talking shit to Christina Aguilera. But sure. Okay. Yeah. And But here's what it is. Is Eminem did a thing that Scream did. He tore a page right from the Kevin Williamson book and he made it about right now. Mm-hmm. All of his references were contemporary. The yeah. people he was coming for were pop stars. They weren't fellow rap folk no they were pop stars they were and they Which were I the think could mega seen, celebrities of the i time. think in the way that i think in the way that that pop music can be talked down to and and patronized to and the way that women particularly can be so minimized i think that even though britney's power exceeded that of eminem's pop culturally he was close but he wasn't quite because kind of nobody was britney um right nobody I think, could be and ever will be and ever will be i, I think even that was considered like Eminem punching down. Yeah. I think because of the power imbalance there, it was like him punching down at pop because pop is so frivolous. Yep. And gay. And, and gay. he had entire, and on that same album, there's even a song about like, it's an, it's making fun of an LFO song, which is like, they sing a song where it's like new kids on the block had a bunch of hits, but hits, girls. And his version is like new kids on the block sucked a lot of dick. Yeah. And that's and it just and it goes into how boy boy girl groups he calls them make him sick. So it's he's just uh, an expert at combining misogyny and homophobia and uh, making it really catchy. Mm-hmm. And so everybody in the country is singing about how much they hate you mm-hmm. and women. Mm-hmm. And so um, in this case, in this particular case, he has a line that says um, he doesn't care about the Grammys. And he's like uh, making fun of Christina Aguilera. He says. Uh, something about her giving fr- head to Fred Carson yeah. and Fred Durst. And yeah. I'm not going to wrap the line right now, but it's gross. Yeah. Um, but his excuse, he says that she put him on blast on MTV. Yeah. Now let now let me let me let me share with you what really happened. Mm-hmm. Christina Aguilera, being new and wanting to have a voice, spoke up uh, in in an MTV special. Said that she basically voiced her disapproval over violent lyrics about. Eminem's wife mm-hmm. and wanting to and him singing about wanting to kill her and the and the graphic ways in which he wanted to hurt her mm-hmm. and they have had real life um, domestic violent disputes I believe at that point and so um, so she was like so she voices you know her disapproval of that and his takeaway is that she leaked the fact that he was married to the press because she's the word wife that was what he took away uh huh so he says she put him on blast on MTV. Said he's cute, but he's married to Kim. He he. Yeah yeah. Okay okay. So he's not mad mm-hmm. that he's an abuser. He's mad 
about that. That's fine. Yeah. So this is the world in which this emerges. This is 2000. Mm -hmm. So what we're talking about is a pop culture that is on the surface dominated by women but actually dominated by men who are completely controlling the narrative yeah. and and feeding it to other men who were who are you know the Carson Daly's and 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 Kurt Lo- like all the all the people mm-hmm. at MTV because that is like number one on yeah top. that and is are- the number one pop culture like news and infotainment source it is the boy run media it yeah and absolutely so, is how does this tie in well this story is about our good friend Amy Mayfield, who mm-hmm. is just trying to figure out what her thesis film is going to be about. And in, in in a film school full of men who are very successful. Yeah. And really don't see her as a threat until she is a threat. Mm-hmm. And and then she's even more of a threat. It's like <laughs> so and and it's also, you know, really similar to a conversation that we're having now about women in film. Although this movie it, it doesn't make it about that. It no. definitely is actually about that. Mm-hmm. And it's really reflecting what's happening pop culturally at the time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with... Where do you think... Like, when, when you first saw Final Cut, did it speak to you the way it does now? Or as you have watched it so many hundreds of times, has it become something to you in how it is matured and how you know, the times have changed. Like God, that is a really good question. I don't want to admit the answer, but I'm <laughs> going to tell you the truth because I am only here to tell the truth. That's right. Um, I wasn't even sure when I saw the ad that it was a sequel to Urban Legend. Ah. None of us knew. No, oh, that's... Because it was called... Even Urban having watched Legends, it. Legends. Yeah, yeah. With an S, Urban Legends. The original is Urban Legend. This mm-hmm. is Urban Legends. Final cut. Mm-hmm. So it's like, is it even a sequel? Is this a ripoff? And then when you watch the the commercial, it's like, oh well, are there even any urban legends in this movie? <laughs> yeah. and, you watch the movie and, you're, and you're still asking, are there urban legends in this movie? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it is one of those things where if you go in wanting a sequel, you are not going to get that. And so <laughs> yeah, that's um, so true. So yeah, you're it, because it's going to deprive you of that. Mm-hmm. I felt like I wanted that, and that is not what I got. Mm-hmm. And so I was very upset. Yeah. But I also had a lot of fun. (laughs) And so, you know, it hits home video and I start renting it again and again. Again and again and again. And then you start having a movie night. So once I got to film school, I would annual, well, not even annually, every sem- at the start of every semester, mm-hmm. I would make, I would bring people over and we would watch this film <laughs> and pair it with some other movie, horror movie about people making horror movies, which you would not believe how many there are. This is obviously <laughs> um, But, you know, the one last bit of background information before we dive into the actual plot, mm-hmm. um, this film was co-written by Scott Derrickson, mm-hmm. who we know from Sinister right, and all of, of those things. So, you know, there's some, there's some, there's some, you know, there's a pedigree to the writing. Mm-hmm. And I will also say it was directed by John Ottman, who has gone on, he's a composer normally. I mean, he's done a fuck ton of X-Men movies. Mm-hmm. And he's one, he's just, he's a very successful dude who basically directed two movies, one in 1988 and this one. And then... It was all over for him wow. as far as directing goes. Yeah. This was the nail in the directing coffin. And he transitioned to a completely different sector. Um, look, is there a connection? I don't know. One can only speculate. Yeah. But but I will say he is openly gay. Great. And so when you watch this movie and it feels like it has a queer sensibility, mm-hmm. well, you're right. Your <laughs> spidey sense went off. This is so much gayer without being explicitly gay mm-hmm. and by being explicitly gay. Yeah. This is so much more queer 
than the first one. And I will dare to say it. This is actually the queerest of all of those slashers in terms of explicit representation. Wow. Okay, yeah. I don't have a counter-argument for that. There is... Uh, and I friends, know you've thought is... about this. I know you've thought about this. You, you have know. lists. You have fucking spreadsheets that you can fall back see, on. You've seen them. I have. You've you, seen them. That you can fall back on to say, no, no, no. I've checked. Here's the thing. We don't we don't even come close. What we have in the late 90s is a lot of queer coding. Yeah. And we even have some queer baiting. Like when you think about the faculty, you know, and Mary Beth is like really selling Clea Duvall hard on mm-hmm. being herself. And Clea Duvall's like, well, I'm a lesbian. Just kidding. I'm actually straight. A yeah. lesbian is my cover. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, wait, what kind of weird witchcraft am I watching? <laughs> you know. So by 2000, we've been queer baited so many times that when Eva Mendez shows up as Vanessa and she's a lesbian not even revealed in the first scene yeah scenes later it's like this is too good to be true yeah she's cool and she's <laughs> hot and she's funny and she seems good at her job and you're yeah. like oh my god this is i am in for this character eva mendez she knows she's running a set oh yeah she's, and and look it's unclear is she the she's got a girlfriend because she called for lunch, and I'm going to tell you right now that doesn't happen. Also, I will say for 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 a movie about making films, they are they don't know anything about making films. This movie doesn't know, I mean, anything about the actual process or or I mean, they get everything wrong. So maybe that's part of the also lack of appeal for Hollywood maybe. because it's like you watch it and you're like, this is not my industry, and everybody at home's watching and they're like, this is so out of touch, you know. But who knows? If you can, if you can, you know, if you can believe that she's calling the shots, then great. What I will say. <laughs> Is you get Loretta Devine mm-hmm. as Reese the security guard, and she is going to be your through line from the first movie. Yeah, and I think so, through the th- through whatever next movie might be coming. I don't remember because I've only seen that one once. Okay, I will admit. No, that's fine. Um, but I but she is she is everything that you liked about her in part one. She's yeah. going to do five more times and better <laughs> in part two. Yes, it's like. More attitude, more more one-liners. Urban legend, my ass. And she actually is going to be integral to the plot. Mm-hmm. She is so important to this movie that she's actually one of the main characters. Yeah, like, completely. We we have characters that we are not getting anywhere else in slashers, <laughs> but we're getting them here. Now, part of the problem, it, listen, Jennifer Morrison, a real nice girl great performance mm-hmm. she is a blonde white girl mm-hmm. with not a lot not not giving us a lot jen right on this on this particular character right it, i mean in in and that is that is a that is a fascinating through line in and of itself of the urban legend one and two of yeah, the designated heroine being not being not more compelling than the supporting cast around her Look, is her performance good? Yeah. Is it fine? Totally. Yes. Um. Do I want? Do I want Vanessa as our final girl? Yeah. Yes. Do I want? Fuck. Just give Loretta a gun and have her go after him. I want to follow her all Absolutely night. Absolutely yes. So you know that's that. The problem is there are so many charming people around her, including whoa Joey Lawrence yeah. <laughs> playing just an absolute piece of shit. Oh yeah. And and I will say. 
Okay, so getting into the actual movie of it, um, it opens on uh, Amy going like, oh, "God, what's my thesis going to be?" It is fucking spring, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, of her graduating year. Oh yeah, it's and close. She doesn't know what her thesis is. I mean, there are there are students at this school who have shot and screened and been graded yeah. on their movies. <laughs> wow, you're right. You're so idea. right. Yeah. Oh man! But then Loretta, but then Reese is rolls up and gives her a ride home one night, and she's like, "You want to hear a scary story?" <laughs> <laughs> and and does that thing that I told you I hate when an Uber Uber driver does, and they, they just tell you their movie idea. Yeah, yeah. You don't make a good movie, <laughs> but in this <laughs> in this case, Reese is right, and Amy does this thing where she actually leaves behind all of the plot mm-hmm. and only takes the gimmick and decides she's going to make a movie. That just repeats different urban legends, but mm-hmm. like poorly. Yeah. But, because she is going to win the Hitchcock Award. Yes. I got a good story. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's about a campus serial killer who murders eight students. But nothing happens because the prestigious university covers it up. Oh, I've heard this one. It supposedly happened to Pendleton. It's just an urban legend. And that is that is like a this and what comes with the Hitchcock Award is like a promise of your dream career fulfilled. Like industry doors will fly open for you if you can win the Hitchcock Award. And that one star student is really the main guy. Like and yep. and, and we and and as a result, he checks out early. Guess what? He's dead. Yep. Fucking action. So here's the here's the central drama. Right. It's like, hold up. How did the top film school student, why did he kill himself? And and also, why did he get a C minus on this on the, or C plus or C minus on his assignment? Yeah. Because he's perfect. Yeah. He's and perfect. everybody. And and so like Amy's like, I got to track down the people that were on his set. And hmm, as she's tracking people down, mm-hmm. turns out the people on his set are dropping dead. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Nobody. So she can't actually get a hold of anybody who's seen his movie. One of which is, and we just have to take a moment to recognize Jessica Caulfield as the resident cannot act, but is full of effort um, leading woman wow. on, on, on like it, it, in the way that I feel like it seems like in film school from what I've gathered anecdotally, there's like always that one girl that everybody wants in their movie. Like there's always that one where like, oh, well, yeah, so-and-so was an ever, like I have a friend who went to USC in the early 2000s and she was there at the same time as Debbie Ann Wool from True, yeah. of True Blood fame. And she was like, oh, everybody wanted Debbie in their short films. Everybody wanted Debbie. So it sounds like Jessica is that except the version you don't want, but she's just like the option. And she is giving a quintessentially Make a meal out of it, Jessica Caulfield performance. Or like that girl who takes a bite of a chicken sandwich and she discovers that the mayonnaise is really pus from a chicken tumor. And then there's that guy who has this nasty case of crabs and he goes, unzip his spine. Like, okay. Oh. And I absolutely love her for it. She does the same thing in the movie Valentine. She does the yep, same thing with does. moments of screen time in Legally Blonde. She does the same thing with moments of screen time in Debs. Jessica Caulfield leaves it all on the field. And we just, I, I want to take this moment to respect her for her contributions to millennium era cinema. 10 out of 10, no notes for that performance. None. And 
Additionally, it opens on a fake out. Like, gotcha, this actually isn't an episode of The Twilight Zone. This is a <laughs> fake plane. I don't know what film school has a fucking hangar and a fake plane in it that they can shoot that kind of shit. That they can shoot red eye in, but sure. <laughs> I love the beginning because it mm-hmm. opens with her, a guy going down on her in an airplane because she is in charge. Or at least the illusion that she's in charge. Yeah. Because you cut away and boom, male director. Yes. Yes. And then it's like, oh, so, I just want to throw it out there. I think the movie is at least somewhat in on this commentary. Mm-hmm. So, okay. We have our our key players. Um and and people are starting to die, but the very first death and I want and I'm going and this is a bold statement. I want to hear your thoughts. Mm. I think that the the opening real kill mm-hmm. the um is is actually one of the best kills that we get in the aughts. I would say top 10 possibly top five sequences is this jessica caulfield this is the um the the kidney the kidney oh yeah queen. yeah and what i was and because i think i think the jessica caulfield death i would put the jessica caulfield death in that category it's also great and i what this movie does so incredibly well like this movie does deaths a couple of its deaths really really well in a way that yeah. play into the conventions and tropes of the genre but are done in it like are done so smartly that is like there is as much entertainment as there is an opportunity to be like wow we should unpack how they did that and you know 9-11 is going to happen a year from this movie and mm-hmm. so what's going to happen is fun is going to stop it's going to completely leave horror yeah for about 10 years yeah and so this is like the last burst of fun in kills yeah and, and they go all like it is scary it is smart mm-hmm. it is fun mm-hmm. there like every piece of it is there and for me when when you're when we're talking about what makes a good slasher it's mm-hmm. like is it a good mystery mm-hmm. is it are the kills good those mm-hmm. things are there is the cast memorable this is a cast of characters oh yeah and i would say like you know we'll get there but does the ending deliver so I to me the creeps are there the design mm-hmm. the killer is wearing a fencing mask terrifying because you can't see their face mm-hmm. um but also you know occasionally don somebody else's mask yes which i would argue is more chilling than the actual normal killer's co- costume no i think that's a very good point and 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 it, it it helps with the it helps with the red herringness of any good slasher which is that it could be anybody like that the idea of the height of the idea that you cannot rely on even the devil you know because the devil you don't could come around any turn. So, you know, somebody is on the loose killing to and probably to ben, it, it it is it appears that they are also gunning for the Hitchcock award. Yes. And that and that because that is maybe the end goal. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> so everything is happening in the way that a slasher film should and maybe that's part mm-hmm. of the problem. Maybe people at the time are like, you know what, we've seen slasher films work. We need we need something mm-hmm. off the rails. We need something like really different right. that's really shaking it up. And for me, what I think works so well about this movie is it knew exactly what it was and it achieves it. But what's really funny to me is that this killer decides to start killing in the style of urban legends while Amy is also making a film about urban legends. And I'm going to tell you, not anywhere in the movie does anybody ever address that. <laughs> no. Like nobody's like, what no. a coincidence. And- 
it's like really like whether or not it was whether or not it was in, intended in the material she really ends up becoming a great facsimile for like the idea of like the invisible yes, female yes. like that that nobody notices that nobody pays attention to that nobody really cares what they're saying like she does end up becoming a very effective avatar yes. for like the passed over woman and she is right from the fucking start and not only that but the whole reason this shit gets solved is because amy is on the case detective amy is yeah. cracking down leads. I, don't, I didn't have time for shit during my thesis semester amy's got time to solve murders man and make a well, movie clearly amy needs amy needs every excuse to keep procrastinating <laughs> on this project because fucking clearly wow yeah clearly she is pushing it to the limit with oh, it God, like yeah. the emphasis as you said like people have had their thesis films graded and emily doesn't know what she's doing so honestly emily's desperation to not do her thesis film solves this case in by this the movie. way her name is amy and that just again shows how forgettable and like bland white absolutely and might as well from here on we out did this she's on- emily and I'm telling you, we absolutely did this on a recent episode of Disaster Girls, where we just we started calling a character's Madison that was absolutely named Claire. So by the end, she was just Claire Madison. It. So uh, I I I, be- I fully believe that her middle name, by the way, is Emily. She's Amy Emily. <laughs> um, and so she looks like she an does. Amy she Emily. She just she clearly is. Um, here's what's good. <laughs> now, listen, friends. You know I love a twin. I love I love yeah. get me Princess Switch me any movie you can. I know yes. who killed me is obviously up there for me. So when I tell you that Travis's twin brother showed up and I was screaming, I was actually <laughs> screaming. <laughs> I believe you were truly honestly was, screaming. And and here's the thing though, we're like, is he a twin? Can we trust him? Is the boyfriend mm-hmm. the killer? Because it's always that's always the thing in this era is like, is the boyfriend the killer? Um and, and yeah. she's kind of like flirt getting flirty with him, you know? And also he is doing mm-hmm. his best to be as creepy as possible. He like Comes oh, yeah. out from behind giant modern art. He's always got an excuse that he was there or just needs to leave. He and, yeah. and at the end of every exchange asks Amy not to tell anybody. Listen, don't tell anybody you saw me here. Please. Well, yes. I gotta say. You're so right. Oh, wow. Incrim- self-incrimination across the really board. Really making it hard to trust you. <laughs> yes. This movie does a great job with its male asshole characters. Like the the arrogant professor, the ultra ambitious, you know, would sell you out director. Mm-hmm. Sandra! Listen, let's try something new this time. Why don't you get it right or I'll kill you? The other ultra ambit, like Joey Lawrence's character, who's just like the rich kid nepotism guy. You're a film brat, and you need to make it to save face just as bad as I do. Maybe worse. I'll see you on the set, darling. And then, like, the only good the only good guy is the is the star film student who's dead yeah. and then his weird brother shows up and he's fucking awful and there's also the cinematographer oh, the god. like is he like an exchange student like the cinematographer who comes in the mail order cinematographer com- yeah who is completely fucking weird and creep show so it really does the only people who probably the only guys who probably didn't do it are the tech dorks one of which is like Anthony Anderson 
here's the thank goodness before Travis died, he hooked Amy up with a cinematographer. Now, that's that's his last good deed because she was like, I need some help. <laughs> he was like, look, yeah. you know what? I'm going to go. Uh, this It's all over for me, but at least take my cinematographer. By the way, shows up. <laughs> cinematographer shows up to the shoot late when and hadn't even accepted the job. Shows up with his own camera and he's like, I'm shooting this now. Love it. Um, yeah. Love, yeah. We, we're here. We're here for that. Is it a Russian accent? I mean. I'm Shorm Yabusko. Travis Star calls me. He says you need director of photography. Yeah. Okay. You know what? Sure. So, so. <laughs> okay. They're a- after set that day. Like Vanessa's rolling out and her gr- her hot girlfriend mm-hmm. pulls up in a car because cars. Hey, baby. Hi, doll face. It's feeling very masculine. <laughs> we are in the male gaze. We are bathing in the male gaze. We are seeing women next to women. And, you know, because we're approaching the odds, that means, you know, lesbians hot. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. You know, if you were a girl, I would definitely fuck you. We love, le- yeah, lesbians hot, lesbian fetishes. Okay, so, you know, it, in, in this moment, she says. Can I give you a lift? And he says. You already have. And it's like. Uh-huh. It is a perfect illustration of the male gaze. I don't know if you guys got that because he's talking, but it's he's talking about he has an erection from the lesbian. Yeah, you know, because we all say, you know what, you you know when you call your erection a lift? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, I got a real, I got a real lift for this guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. You know, it's just a totally natural thing that we all understood and 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 what we get in that moment is what we're about to get for 10 more years it's like it's like the, <laughs> yes the, the groundhog saw its shadow and we were cursed with additional <laughs> male gaze queer women moments uh-huh <laughs> we, for, well, you're absolutely sorry. right saw a shadow 10 more it, years 10 more years 10 more years of fetishizing lesbians and cool homophobia yep there it is so you know <laughs> i will i will say you know as it's great that we get a queer character at all, but we mm-hmm. do have that moment that you know we had to throw in there. So the producer that's watching it isn't like, isn't this kind of gay? He's like, yeah, isn't that hot? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, well, we were, I was talking with a, a dear friend of ours recently who, I guess in this context, I will omit a name because I don't want to presume comfort, but we were talking about um, like studio executive calls and like studio executive notes. And we were discussing, like, the idea of, like, hypotheticals around um, the movie Wonder Woman and male executives watching this and being like, you know what, I'm just going to need a little bit more of this behavior from this woman to really bring her to life for me. Mm -hmm. And this friend of ours, like, who is on a lot of notes calls, (laughs) kind of, like, took the tone of an executive was like... Guys, I'm just not experiencing Wonder Woman here. Like, I'm going to need a little more. And I have not been able to fucking get over the term. I'm not really experiencing this character. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of, like, isn't this gay? It's like, you know, I'm not really experiencing the lesbians. Can we talk about his boner? Because that would really get me a lot closer. Yeah, can we talk about his lift, please? I need to hear about Alexi's lift. I mean, is he Alexi? I don't know. Dimitri, whatever. He's German, so it's probably, you know, Steve. I So what I'm going to need is I'm going to need to experience her a little more closely by having an avatar for my own erection right mm-hmm. now. Thanks so much. So I bringing it to Vanessa, because this is an important pivot. Yes. To me, okay, so I 
I think that what's her running a set, I want Vanessa on my sets. Mm-hmm. Vanessa is oh both, yeah she's running things with a with an iron fist and compassion she's got a heart she's understanding she gives people an hour for lunch I can't believe that shit I have <laughs> never okay Vanessa take an hour and she she is also she's a great this character is a great example of hot privilege because mm. if Eva Mendez told you to get your ass in gear you, you would. would yeah because you want the hot girl telling you what to do you want the hot girl bossing you around, and you want to follow her orders. And the set that they're on is fabulous. It is a, <laughs> it is like an old, it's like Pirates of the Caribbean, but miners. Like miners as in like, <laughs> like hi-ho, right? Like it's like yeah, robotic yeah. miners, like mining for gold in a tunnel that you get mm-hmm. into like one of those little like um little tunnel um trains. <laughs> yeah, a little cart, like a little, little cart. mine cart. Yeah, a little mine, yeah. little mine car. <laughs> Um, and you toot your way right through this puppet land. <laughs> I just want to say, like, props to the movie for this, like, super cool set piece. We don't get set pieces mm-hmm. like this before anymore. And Jordan. No, we do not. That is the hallmark of the 2000s is spectacle horror with amazing practical setups. I miss it so much. But here's my favorite part. It's that at the end sequence, it is just a clusterfuck of characters because they're like, we, they really pull you to the end. Like, who is it? Is mm-hmm. is this twin yeah. really a twin? Um, is everybody still dead? Like, you know, mm-hmm. what what happens is Vanessa, our, you know, our lead lesbian is told, well, not yes. lead lesbian, our supporting lesbian, is <laughs> yeah. uh, she, Amy comes across Vanessa in a tower and Vanessa's like, and they had to do this big spin around. And it's like, oh, yeah. they make a big moment because it's like, ta-da, the killer is Vanessa. You knew it all along because she's queer. Yeah. But then Vanessa goes, I got your note. <laughs> and it is like, oh, okay, here we are, bitch. I love this. I love that it sets up. Vanessa has a girlfriend. But this movie adds a diversion in for both Vanessa and Amy, where she thinks that Amy is sweet on her. And it's like, oh, are we finally, like, we're, are we, or do we both want this? Like, are we, are we into each other? Are we doing this? And it's like, Vanessa is ready to either cheat on or leave her girlfriend for Amy. And I'm like, yeah, oh my God. Not where a could the part of, question. I, I wanted so much the divergence in this movie where Amy's like, oh, this I didn't is an know option. That you were interested in yeah, like I didn't know you were interested in me, but now that I know that you, Eva Mendez, are interested in me, Eva Mendez is totally the hottest person in Canada where they shot this. Just you know, Jesus like, Christ. across the board. I mean, just like of Absolutely. course she's going to do it, and it's like of course, and, and and the fact that just not a word is said. Like you know what? In my relationship, we were kind of open. Instead, you know what she says? She says. I mean, at first I was a little surprised, but, you know, not really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. I, you know, I can't say I didn't expect it <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, like- because when you're, because when you're lesbian, su- supporting lesbian Eva Mendez, you expect sort of that everyone is attracted uh-huh. to you. So it's like, you know, I didn't get a specific cue, but I just figured that I got vibes from you because everyone gives me vibes because yep. I'm Eva Mendez supporting lesbian. Yeah. And here's the truth. I'm sure she did give her vibes because how oh, could you absolutely. not? Oh, absolutely. How, how could, could you not? You not. 
Um, yep. So then, it's, of course, the real killer shows up behind a bunch of statues. I got to tell you, this set is like Batman Returns with these statues. It is. You're absolutely there right. Are, it's so Batman in the Belfry. Yes. Giant. There are. Here's the thing. There are statues everywhere. This campus is covered in life, like larger than life objects that sometimes they have <laughs> conversations on top of. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is just doing the most and so then to escape the killer they get shoved into a closet of course a closet yeah a closet a, a closet on the pr- on the pr- on the wah, heels wah. of a proposition uh-huh and then very i will say rather unceremoniously even mendez is murdered yeah it's like an off-screen death it, it doesn't, it's not even glorious. And don't they just show, like, her body hanging from, like, the bell tower or whatever? Yeah. And then it cuts yeah, away. Yeah, it's just like, oh, I guess she's so, gone now. And it's like, oh, so that's it? Yeah. Like, is there some other edit out there where she lives? Because it felt like this was a last-minute decision. In my heart, it's like no one actually wanted to do it. So they yeah. were just like, fine, Eva, we're just going to hang you up here and shoot you for, like, ten minutes because this is fucking bullshit and we didn't want it to go this way. <laughs> God, I hope so. Yeah, right? I, just like, oh. So, you know, for a lot of you, I know you just hit stop on the movie and that's where it ends. So we're going to tell you how it ends because you but have to see before the rest. we Before we zag into the ending, I do just want to call out the the death of Jessica Caulfield's character. Oh. Because it so is true. done so well and, and the way it is revealed to the other characters is done so phenomenally well. I think it is such a point of artistry in this film her character, she's on set, and she, it, like, the killer stalks her with a camera, and she doesn't quite know what's going on at first, and then she starts being murdered on film. She's, like, being slashed and hacked to pieces yes. with the camera over her filming her death, and it's 100% peeping Tom. 100% yeah. 1960 movie peeping Tom, the camera outfitted with the blade where the killer can murder the person and capture their expression at the moment they're aware that they're going to die and as the life leaves their body. And that that is the part of, that is part of the kill. And then not only does that happen, the other characters see it because they're watching like the rushes that day in like a little theater, a little theater on campus. And all of them are watching and we only hear it. As the audience, for the most part, we only hear her horrific screams as she is dying. And it is visceral. It is bad because it is meant to be. And we it just is a sequence of close ups on all the characters watching being increasingly uncomfortable with how vivid and real this is. And there's even a comment like, wow, that's the best performance she's ever given because she's a bad actress. Mm -hmm. But everybody is so taken by how real this is. And they're so shaken because it is. And as you're watching, like, it comes, it it moves out of the tone of this movie, which can be quite tongue-in-cheek most of the time, and makes it actually extremely upsetting for that sequence, and brings in the notion of that voyeurism and that complicity in a way that I think is amazingly well done. Well, and I would point out that it's everyone except for Eva, because they are setting up the fact that she may be a queer killer, because her yeah. response is, she goes... Yeah, yeah, like, you're right. Because you're when right. queer people watch horror movies, you know what? I'm going to be honest. Yeah, all right, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, sure. Yeah, no, but well, I, into, I, yeah. I think they're trying to like make us, you know, it, try and lean into what is obviously uh, something that we see time and again in horror, which is the killer is the queer one, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's not. 
Well, and I think it, I think in the way that I, I think this is a thing that people missed about it. Like, as you said, it coming on the glut on the, on sort of the end of when the tail end of when people are, are really tolerating these kinds of films anymore. Like have an appetite for them, like the, the, the self-aware dead teenager movie. Right. And I think it takes, I think this is to me, maybe the, the brightest moment in the context of that conversation where it's like, no, this movie isn't actually recycling what you've already seen. It's, it's doing something new and it's aware of what you've already seen. And it's going to kind of ask you certain questions about how you received those movies and the frivolity and the fun of them. And it's going to give you this deeply upsetting thing where the most sort of frivolous and silly actress in Jessica Caulfield has a heinous death that you are meant to experience sensorily only only in audio. But then watch how upset it makes other people to see it happen. And I think that ripping you into a different tone is a really impressive thing that this movie does and to me demonstrates its awareness of its place in this genre in a way that I don't think it gets credit for. And it asks, it begs to ask a question, I don't know what the expression is, actually. Begs the question. It, it begs the question. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What is our culpability as an audience watching what we're given? And I'm not talking mm-hmm. about just horror because, yes, horror, obviously. And yeah, that's what sure. is happening in that scene. But what we are on the verge of is a booming tabloid media that we talk about as as really expanding by 2005. And it was not non-existent then. This is like the no, year that no. Brad and Angelina got married, which mm-hmm. was like fucking, you know, on on the cover of everything and so it really is like we're 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 testing the boundaries of where we draw the line and i think that this movie really pushes us to take a look at ourselves that moment when eva says or when vanessa says get it get her it's Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. that's meant to be us and it's Mm -hmm. like exactly and and our lack of humanity yep um, when we when there is something when there's enough distance between us and something else when it when what's between us is just a camera Mm-hmm. Oh, good bringing that up. I appreciate it because what course, I'm going to talk about is so much more petty. Well, no, but now that <laughs> we move crucially into the ending and just some iconography that comes from this movie. So we're going to start off in a graveyard. Cute. Mm-hmm. And it's going to turn into a spaceship. We're going to crash through yeah. a wall. And it turns out on the other side is a student film shooting apparently a sci-fi film. And like a, <laughs> really, I mean, it's like the set pieces here are so cool. And I only bring that up because I don't want to detract from the actual conversation, which is the whodunit of the yeah. ending, which is yeah. all set in these like cool sets. Um, yeah. It, they, like it's just them crashing through various forms of movie sets yes. as like the mystery is being solved and the final climactic battle is unfolding. And one by one, the characters who you have been suspecting are all in the same room together. So mm-hmm. in what is an incredible move on the movie's part, um, mm-hmm. the killer is the uh, like washed up film school teacher because of course it is. And we yeah. all met him. We know who he is. Every yes. place has one, and you don't have to be studying film to have that guy. That guy's no, in you do not. every department at every school that's ever existed. Mm-hmm. And he has way the too guy much power. Who, the How guy who tenure? either was so close or who once was. Yes. And he is played so deliciously and accurately in, in a performance by knockoff David Duchovny that I am just so <laughs> living yeah. for. Um, it's excellent. He, he says... Fuck teaching! No, like, he literally <laughs> says it. <laughs> yeah. Like, not in an expression, like, like this movie says gay rights. Like, no, he says it. He said, in, in what is my favorite, and scream it out loud, quote, every time, it is yeah. his one-liner after his reveal is, 
Film's a collaborative medium. Film is a collaborative medium. And if you're wondering where you've heard it, it's the beginning of this episode because you know I put that shit in our intro. <laughs> that is in yep. our theme song. That is, you will hear that, Ots Tyrion familiars, and you should have heard those words and it should have piqued something in your, at least your subconscious, if not your conscious mind, to know like, oh, I know that turn of phrase. It's because it's, it is embedded into the entire culture and mission of Ots Tyrion. Film's a collaborative medium. It's hard when the reveal is the guy who is your real life enemy. You know, and you're like, God, <laughs> yeah. that's the guy that tortured me all through college. You know, and it's yep. like, uh, but the thing is, he is the right enemy. He is. Oh, he absolutely is. He is the he is the stand-in for the boy-run media. He is the person who thinks he who has all of the power, but thinks he has none of it. Who thinks, yes, and who who presents as this marginalized figure and who sort of is, is wedded to this notion of a reality in which kind of like, if I were king, if I were in charge, if only I had my shot, if only people respected me, I am, uh, and then, you know, dot, 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 I am going to become the Joker. Like, mm-hmm. he is this, like, this is a, in his mind, his movie is that of the story of the Joker. When in reality, the story of the Joker is an entitled asshole man who thought the world should have been handed to him and was really fucking betrayed by the fact that it wasn't. And so he was going to take, at any cost, bloody revenge on anybody around him to get what he wanted because that was what he was owed. This man feels like he is entitled to this other person's film. And not just that, but that Amy is not entitled Mm -hmm. to the Hitchcock Award or anything because her dad was a successful documentary filmmaker and she's been harboring the secret the whole movie. Mm -hmm. So he looks at her and thinks she actually has all the power when in reality she has none of it. None Mm -hmm. of it. So in my favorite part of Urban Legends Final Cut, which actually is, is that line. So I will say my second favorite part is that the actual gun gets lost in a sea of fake guns that gets knocked over. Yes, because the teacher the teacher has a gun that he is now holding everybody. He's like now menacing over everybody with and he's just gonna like he's he's had all these elaborate creative deaths so far. He's just gonna kill the rest of the people. He doesn't give a fuck. He's just gonna and shoot you know, everybody dead. You don't, you, don't bring a, Until, you don't bring a gun to a slasher film. And that's when he does it get kicked out of his hand or something happens and there's a scramble. Yeah, there's a scramble and, and the gun ends up on the ground and then an entire crate of prop guns is poured on the floor around it. Love it. And everybody scrambles and grabs the gun that they think Mm -hmm. is the real gun, and they all aim it at each other. (laughs) It is an excellent setup. People, you hear click, (laughs) and you realize, not only do you realize that that person was ready to kill you, but they are now completely helpless if you are the person (laughs) with the gun. And it is a beautiful sequence yeah i mean i i to this day i don't know if there has been a climax that has anything like that with that (laughs) many characters that really delivers um it is it is russian roulette and so (laughs) but of course amy has used her intelligence Mm -hmm. to realize which gun was the real gun because she actually listens when reese gives her backstory and talks about her life and her love of um of foxy brown coffee 
that's one of my favorite films of hers. <laughs> I even have my gun trimmed in gold like hers. Look at that. I've always been partial to Foxy Brown. That's my sister, baby. And, and she's, she's a whole lot of woman. <laughs> And so when all the guns are on the floor, Amy know Amy clocks which gun is Reese's because she she knows that film reference that Reese had, and so she yep. knows she knows the gun to go for. And I'm gonna just look, not trying to like drive it home too hard, but like the truth is she earned it because she made that relationship. Mm-hmm. She talked she talked openly and honestly with her, and she listened. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, she used the skills that she had to 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 deduce what the answer was. And the men around her had just really fought to, like, muscle their way through this movie and, and really didn't solve anything. No, they didn't um, solve anything. Amy has solved murders. She has found the gun. <laughs> and she figured out her thesis film yep. in a semester. In a semester. semester. This woman, listen, when, <laughs> when she, when they give her the Hitchcock Award at the end of this movie... You, you think, God damn, she deserves it. But also then a sniper who was actually one of the grips is up on the ceiling and then shoots <laughs> at her. And then you're like, wait, are we not done? And then she calls cut. Yep. And you realize Amy is a real director because she's a narcissist just trying to tell her own story <laughs> um, and has cast all of her friends in the leading roles, yep. uh, including a role that didn't even exist, which is the sniper. So there, the way that it just like it folds in and over and on top of itself is a real it's really a, it's so wonderful that they took the care to give us all of those layers in making Urban Legends Final Cut. And, you know, we should have seen it coming because it opened with a fake out. Why wouldn't it end with one? Yep, it's true. Bookend it. And who who doesn't love a bookend? An unnecessary bookend. It really, it just, it ties everything up so neatly. Um, and by the way, yep, that was his twin. <laughs> yes, it was his twin after all in the end. Yeah. So um, for me, this is quintessential odds because not only was it not acknowledged at its time, but it really is its narrative in general is running parallel to a bigger story that we have Mm -hmm. seen again and again and are really not even have not even has not even fully seen a reckoning yet Mm -hmm. by our culture we're just beginning to see it with free britney and having this conversation about the time but um amy represents to me a lot more than just that character and also vanessa being a badass queer character on screen and also just like willing to just like get what she wants i love Mm it um it is over the top it is camp but it's also very well made Mm -hmm. the the scary sequences are fucking good the kills are good Mm -hmm. the idea the set pieces are good so for me that is why this film is absolutely without a doubt odds Tyrion. i will ask you jordan because Mm -hmm. i don't even know if you agree but no i absolutely do and i remember i hadn't i didn't watch final cut actually until just and not as a conscience conscious act of avoidance i just had never watched it until i think mm. last year the year be- i think it was the year before last i think it was like 2019 and it was because you had talked about it so much and then i was finally like oh i'm gonna watch final cut and much like much like in the way you have spoken rightly about prom night two hello mary lou uh-huh you were absolutely right about the sequel exceeding the original Oh, and, thank you. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. Jordan. And not least, and, and like in part because of the way that these sequels 
they almost they diverged so much from their originals in the fact that they became like almost high concept by comparison. And we're actually operating on narrative levels that people who might have been just looking for a retread of the first movie that they saw would be like, this isn't what I signed up for, which in its own way is fair. But if you if you see that and you feel that betrayal, but you see what additionally there is been offered for you to engage in then it's like oh but I got this I like I thought I was getting like a piece of apple pie but it turns out this is a like German chocolate cake and I really like that too I just didn't I needed to be in the mood for pie that day so it's just kind of like my wires got crossed but once you had that delicious dessert and you're like oh this is actually fucking delicious too and I want to revisit this because I like variety I want my pie and my cake I want my pie and my cake and I think that this movie is a very like for that reason is such an argument against a such a a succinct argument against the notion that franchising and sequels are inherently bad and are evidence of a lack of creativity they're not because if you if you if you have a creative streak in you if you have something to say if you have a good concept fucking make that sequel make that make that reboot just give me something good and like i mm -hmm. MTV, I'm I'm sorry. MTV, give me prom night. Or give me uh, give me my super psycho sweet sixteen. Yes, because give me my it, super it psycho could sweet be, sixteen. I can. You give me my super psycho sweet sixteen. I will give you prom night too. That is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying, and I think too that. I, so for that reason, it is it is a great example of where substance lived but was ignored the first time. Much like we see so much of in the aughts. Much like we see so much like we see in the sort of knee-jerk dismissals to IP content, um, and also as a member of that cohort of films like Scream Four, likes and I think like Scream Three as well, and like Josie and the Pussycats, where it was were movies that were just enough, just advanced enough to make people feel like they didn't know what they were talking about when people just couldn't see the forest for the trees at that moment Mm -hmm. in time. So as a member of that coterie of films too, I think it is an excellent, an excellent addition to the Ozterion library because it truly is giving you something you didn't expect. I love hearing you say that. I I, I feel it sincerely. I'm glad that you didn't tell me before because I really felt like I had to make a case for this film. (laughs) (laughs) Which means we will we will have such an intense episode. Yeah. Um, But I I just I think that it it, I just feel so passionately about this. And I think that, you know, just like other movies that I brought up ahead of their time, um, I'm sure this will end up on the cover of Fangoria in two weeks. So absolutely. You know. (laughs) <laughs> cannot wait for the cannot wait for the shout factory re-release of urban legends final cut <laughs> in due time and to that note i will just add when you think about scream and scream 2 and look i'm wearing a scream 2 t-shirt you know i'm a fan i think scream 2 is one of the best sequels ever but here's the thing it is scream 2 is a scream at college i know you did last summer too is i know you did last summer in the caribbean it mm-hmm. is what we're getting are sequels that are are the exact thing but with something a little bit fresh and this movie was like fuck the fuck the same thing um this movie said gay rights no wait what did this movie say this movie said (laughs) fuck teaching (laughs) this movie said fuck teaching so yeah you know and and to that i think that plays in i think that it factors so well into our ethos here like a sort of subcutaneous theme of of all of our discussions is fuck film school fuck what they tell you is important Fuck what they tell you is important and the canon they tell you is essential because it doesn't have to be your canon and almost 
more than likely is not. If you came from any sort of background in enjoying watching and enjoying film that wasn't like steeped in the cishet white masters of yore. Yes. If if you tuned out uh, every time somebody talked about those cis white het masters uh, yeah. in every film class, guess what? You're not alone. And you can make great fucking art. So fuck all those people. And if you're mm-hmm. thinking about whether or not it's worth taking out a loan that size, guess what? Probably not. And <laughs> unless you're ready to push back. And if you're ready to like push back every step of the way to make something that you want to make regardless of what anybody else says, mm-hmm. that's it. That's your answer. So... Yeah. Anyways, um, uh, Urban Legends Final Cut had a 9%. So, you know, who needs anybody's approval? <laughs> who needs anybody's approval? And here we are lionizing and going long on it Um, 21 years later. 21 years later in our lives. Jordan, when we need to know if we're going to watch a movie or not, where can we find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Jorcru, J-O-R-C-R-U. And you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Cruciola. And how about you, Sam? You can find me at Sam Weinman, uh, destroying anything, uh, any semblance of what people think about my taste um, on Twitter, uh, maybe Instagram if I'm there this month. And, uh, <laughs> and you can watch my film, The Quiet Room. And if you want to trash it, you could trash it too. But- <laughs> But just whatever you do, don't text through the gay kiss. Yes, exactly. That is the moral Um, of the story. You already know where to find it and my shit. So that's it. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us for another episode in this second season, the second firing on all cylinders season of Season two. Season two. The sequel is looking great. And uh, we look forward to bringing you more joys on our next episode. So thank you very much. Because Ozterion is a collaborative medium. Mm.